You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. I'm Dolan Mercer here with you until two o'clock, along with the Perspective team of Aaron Ibanez and William King, who've prepared this discussion and will be on hand to voice your thoughts. Speaking of which, as always, we're very keen for you to get involved this afternoon. You can text us on 166177. You can email studio at manxradio.com. You can use the hashtag MRPerspective on social media. And from 1.15, the man in line will be open. You can call us on 66 1368 to have a chat to us on air. So, a Freedom of Information request submitted by the Perspective team revealed that the learning of modern foreign languages on the island is at a record low. But why? Are Manx students seemingly not interested in taking a language, or are they, as subjects, perceived to be too difficult, perhaps? Is communicating just easier than ever with the technology many of us now possess in the palm of our hands? Or maybe it's simply not a priority in Manx education policy? One MHK has been especially vocal about this and about education in general. Um, that's GAF member Daphne Kane, who joins us in the studio. Joining her, we have Emma Humphrey, from uh, founder of Private Foreign Language Tuition Converser. And we have the island's La Jolie Ronde franch- uh, franchisee, Stephanie Kelsey, who teaches French to preschool and primary school children. Um, and last but not least, we have Manx-born Eleanor Radcliffe, who did her growing up in Luxembourg, speaking four languages. Is that right? Um, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for coming in. And uh, first of all, I'd like to find out a bit about Converser and La Jolie Ronde, if possible. Um, can you tell us a bit about what these organisations do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm Emma, and I have graduated from Liverpool University with a degree in French and Spanish. So I decided to start up a private language tuition over here because I feel like the level of teaching over here is actually not as good as it should be. I think we're taught how to pass exams and not actually how to speak the language. So I thought the best thing to do was encourage that privately if people want to follow that. So, yeah. And I'm Stephanie, and yeah, I'm a licensee for La Jolie Ronde, um, which is a big organisation, um, and we go into primary schools <coughs> at lunch times. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. At lunch times, um, and um, parents pay for the lessons we teach in small class small groups um within the school but it's not part of the curriculum it's an extracurricular thing that we offer so in in both cases how how well or how popular um how how popular are they how well are they used mine's really popular um i can't actually fulfill the demand at the moment because um it's so popular uh, i haven't got enough tutors to be able to teach the children that the parents want to, to be taught I presume yours is a bit of a, a new adventure, is it? Yeah, I only opened, well, opened, started in January, but the uptake has actually been really, really quick, and there's still more and more people asking, and I think there's plenty of demand for it. There's other tuition companies on the island as well, and they're obviously thriving, so there's plenty of people that need it. So what sort of form does that take then? Do you hold sessions and kind of people come to you? or? So I've done a couple of private sort of six-week sessions, so people will come for six weeks and do a holiday one, or people are having weekly hourly lessons um, it's some of them I will go to businesses and do a lunchtime sort of Spanish thing and then others are kids that need extra help outside of school so they'll come to me and how uh, in, well to both of you how how did you get involved in languages um, we heard a bit about your studies more recently but mm-hmm. um, how did you get there maybe um, it was just something that really interested me in school which is why this is actually really important to me because I find it really sad that 
it's not important to the government over here. Um, so I did French and German at school and then decided I wanted to pick up a different language other than German at uni, so I did Spanish and French. And, and how about you? Yeah, Stephen? really similar. Um, I um, My parents were both crazy about France in particular. Um, my mum's a French speaker. Um, I then uh, learnt it. In those days, um, French wasn't available in primary schools, so I learnt um, at Balakameen, had fantastic French teachers, um, and um, did it at university, um, loved it. The, the great thing about doing languages at university is that you have to go and spend, you have to, drag, <laughs> you have to go and spend a year abroad, which is a fantastic experience. And then um, when I came back to the Isle of Man, I was lucky enough to get a job that required me to have French. So that there are jobs that exist on the island, um, you know, outside of the realm of teaching. Um, and then when the, um, when, the when the government cut the funding for French in primary schools in 2012, I thought, hmm, there's an opportunity here. You know, I thought, what a shame that children aren't being exposed at a young age when they learn best. And from a business point of view, I thought there's an opportunity here. And that's how I got involved in La Jolie Ronde. Thank you very much, both. Um, so from languages as occupation, perhaps um, I'd also like to introduce Eleanor Radcliffe, who, um, so you grew up in Luxembourg and spoke, and spoke four languages. What were those four, first of all? Um, so English, obviously, and then Luxembourgish, German and French in that order. Um, so in Luxembourg, um, I went through the state school system and you have to learn those three languages in primary school. So Luxembourgish, German and French. So I'd say you'd start picking up Luxembourgish when you're three or four and then German officially when you're six and French just before you turn eight, kind of in that age. So I've not actually learned a new language in over 10 years, um, which is quite interesting because I learned them all while I was still young. And I think that was so beneficial to me. And, you know, most people in Luxembourg speak five or more languages. You know, if their parents um, come from somewhere else and they learn their language, then they have to learn English as well when they go into secondary school. You know, they end up speaking about six languages and, it, you know, they speak them well. So is, is that the norm then, I suppose, amongst people there? Yeah, completely. You know, I... Obviously, English is my mother tongue, so I didn't actually learn that as a... You know, they'd done that as a fourth language. I already had that as a language. Um, but, you know, it, it's completely the norm that you just kind of add on, add on, you know, in the state school especially, you're, you know, you, you learn Latin a lot of the time as well. And then if you go into the language section, you can learn Spanish, Italian, you know, it really just builds and builds. And do people use languages in their in their jobs there as well? Is that is that more common maybe than yeah, here? Yeah, 100%. Especially because in Luxembourg, if you want to go to university... Um, Luxembourg only has one university and I think it's quite new um, so if you want to go study you would go to France or Germany or Holland or Belgium but most of the time you'd have to go to France because the uh, official language especially for law and business is French um, but now it's also like the English market is becoming much much bigger but I'd say most of my friends who are Luxembourgish um, have gone to Germany or France to study. Thank you very much and then we're also joined by Daphne Kane MHK who um, has raised this issue on the, on the political floor quite recently. Um, I'm going to play an extract now, if you don't mind. During the, November's sitting of Tinwald um, last year, that was, of course, you asked the Minister for Education when his department stopped the provision of the peripatetic, if I said that right, French teaching in primary schools, um, and if he had plans to reintroduce this for key stages one and two. Let's have a listen to his response. 
As the Honourable Member may be aware, the Curriculum Order 2011 indicates that within Key Stage 2, ages 7 to 11, the curriculum may include French. At the time of this order, this option provision, uh, optional provision was supported by the Peripatetic Primary Modern Languages Services. However, the Department's arrangements for teaching of languages in primary schools altered substantially in July 2012 in order to minimise the impact of the budget reductions on other frontline services. The Peripatetic Primary Modern Language Service was discontinued. Beyond the requirements of the order, however, the Department would not seek to prescribe schools in terms of their curriculum, but rather delegates responsibility for the detailed current content of the curricula to head teachers. This means that schools can respond quickly to the need and interests of pupils. In reality, primary schools have continued to offer language teaching, including Manx Gaelic, all schools as an option, and in some cases, other languages such as French and Mandarin. There are currently no plans to require schools to develop this curricula beyond this. Um, as I stated earlier, the uh, teaching of the languages is, is left up to the schools. Um, I think most people realised that uh, French, many, many years ago, probably at the start of the EU, was being pushed out to schools. I think more modern languages, such as Spanish, Mandarin and German, have taken that. And just to maybe take the opportunity to point out, um, that was Graeme Cregeen there speaking in November. We did extend an invitation to the Education Department um, to join us on this programme. Unfortunately, they weren't able to make it. Um, Daphne Kane, what's happened then since then, I suppose, would be the good first question. Um, well, I followed it up with some more questions, um, seeking an answer as to when perhaps Mandarin will be rolled out to primary schools, because obviously I think all language is beneficial at a young age, and I think it's a real thing to be celebrated that Manx Gaelic is rolled out across the whole primary schools at Key Stage 2, including the knowledge of our heritage and culture. That's good. That's a really good thing that we do. I'm, I think I'm disappointed that we all appreciate there were budget restrictions and that in 2012 the peripatetic teaching language service had to be disbanded and I'm sure there was a lot of heartache and disappointment from the schools at the department when that had to happen but some understanding my issue with it now seems to be that the minister doesn't believe that this should be a policy or a vision for the future that is the world-class education system we want our children to benefit from that we should seek to reintroduce French or European languages as standard at a younger age and that doesn't seem to be even on their radar and I find that particularly disappointing and I think that that is disadvantaging our young people from being able to have the competency in language at um, later both at the school career and in their wider career going forward into the world. A point of clarification maybe so that 2012 change it means there's no longer obligatory teaching is that right in primary schools of, of of French or French or Spanish or anything or any, any language I think even Manx is optional well Manx is across all <clears throat> the schools Manx is provided to all it's the school private schools but I but don't it's, think it's made you, you have to opt into it don't you yeah you... because the curriculum is with the teachers my issue mm. with the particularly the modern foreign language it's up to the teachers but there's no central funding for that and previously mm. it was provided with specialist teachers who had that capability and you can't say I mean it's a bit like music provision I'm concerned that there isn't mm. a great deal of music provision widespread across the all the schools because it depends on having the capability the specialisms and the enthusiasm of the teachers within those schools to be able to deliver that. 
I, I was lucky enough to um to be taught French at primary school and I opted into some Manx as well. Um a lot of children now then necessarily or won't necessarily, sorry, have that opportunity as things stand. Is that was that right? Yeah, that's right. Um and obviously I love French and I'm keen for people to, to learn French, but really any language learnt by children at an early age um, is of massive benefit. And I think the problem with um, how the minister sees things, his comment about French not being a modern language, um, well, it's ridiculous, isn't it? it? It seemed pretty current last time I was in, Fran in France. But um, I think he is thinking of languages from the point of view of a career. He's thinking that people need to speak, that certain people will need to speak languages in order to be able to to, to use them in their career and so I think that's why he, he mentioned Mandarin because Mandarin is an up-and-coming language because there's so, obviously so many speakers in the world but actually learning any language is massively beneficial um, it improves the the mental development uh, cognitive thinking it makes you better at problem-solving um, at spatial awareness it makes you a better listener it makes you better at, um, at reading and, and picking up whether things seem accurate. So it makes you better, your critical skills are improved. It can stave off dementia. There are so many benefits. And I really think that Graham Crajean's emphasis, and um, he, you know, it would have been great to have discussed this with him if he could have come, um, his emphasis on what's going to get you a job. Um, and I actually think that any language, so I think that whether, whether people want to learn French, Manx, Portuguese, whatever they want to learn, is going to be beneficial. But I think Daphne's absolutely right that the government needs to commit to putting themselves before it, to acknowledging that it makes better, like learning a language makes better people. It's not just good for career options. Maybe come one for you, Emma, if you wouldn't mind. Why, mm. why maybe has that view come about that, um, that French is kind of old fashioned in inverted commas, do you think? I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of different reasons why the decline in any sort of European modern languages happened because especially with the amount of people that speak English that are foreign over here, I think we're kind of put off and I think we don't see the point in learning a foreign language if everyone else can speak English and it's actually a, that's actually really unreasonable to think about it like that because on a global level, if we want to go and work somewhere else and there's someone else applying for the same job, the same amount of experience, but they speak English and their own mother tongue, they're already steps ahead of us. So I think it's there's part of that, and I think anyone you speak to of a certain age is like, oh, I hated French at school, I had such a grumpy old teacher. And there's that, that French at school thing, the strict mistress that's making you recite verb tables. And I think there's better ways of learning now. We're a little bit more advanced in terms of how we understand people learn, and that people don't learn in the same way. They don't learn by repeating things, maybe they do it kinesthetically, anything else like that. So I think maybe it keeps saying I think um, mm. that it's there's a stigma attached to it and that's what's happened and there's the influence of other foreign people speaking English which has discouraged us from it. But it's not helped as well by the fact that um, languages aren't compulsory at high school either. Mm. Well, they're compulsory in the first three years, but then when children get to choose their GCSE options, they have to do English, fine. They have to do maths, fine. They have to do science, fine. They have to do RE bit strange um but they don't have to do a language and again i think it's i think it's because the department of education thinks that languages aren't going to get you jobs and they're not seeing all the myriad benefits that speaking a second language has 
we'll hear later on from um, somebody from King Williams College who speaks a bit more about that whether languages should be sort of obligatory at um, mm. at at uh, what would it be qualification GCSE. level yeah GCSE yeah. or above um, we've had a message in which ties in a bit nicely here uh, David H says hi with English being the most widespread language including on the internet why bother learning another language and that's a view that I think a lot of people have it's easy to be complacent isn't it I don't think you need to be complacent. I think, as Stephanie's perfectly articulated, there are so many much wider benefits of speaking a language. And I don't agree that French is old hat and shouldn't be studied. It's proven that it's, you know, the European languages, French and Spanish, are closest to English and the easiest to learn. So the the success a, a child feels by being able to communicate in those languages, even to go on holiday to uh, sort of nearer destinations, is a, is a massive importance. And I did use French when I was representing the Isle of Man at a tourism fair in Paris some years ago. Um, but I also take issue with the way it was learned. Perhaps I was very fortunate. I had a, a Spanish native, Senor de Bath, who taught me Spanish and I got an O-level. And I had Madame Velarde, who was married to a French native, who was my A-level French teacher. And she made French an amazing experience. We were immersed in it. We had a French class, double last period on a Friday. We had to go in and it didn't matter what we spoke about or what we did, as long as we did it in French. We had French news. We had pear no tasting. We had champagne tasting. We had wine tasting and croissants. You know, we just had a gossip. Um, and all of us went on to have pen friends, went on to, um, we, we instead of, it was a lot of coursework then. It was a very innovative kind of qualification. It wasn't just verb tables and vocabulary. We were encouraged to write. I wrote to, to Grasson Provence to perfume manufacturers, linked in with Madame Bovary, which we were studying. I got loads of perfume samples. I got leaflets on how perfume was made. I was completely inspired and it was a brilliant way. I mean, I didn't actually do an awful lot of uh, revision, but I still speak French to this day. You pick it up very quickly when you go away. Um, and that, and it was a benefit to the Isle of Man that I was educated in Sheffield and I had that advantage. I'd probably, to bring you in, Eleanor, if you wouldn't mind, we've, I, I think I'm right in saying, all learnt second or more languages in probably later life. Mm -hmm. Slightly different in your case. Do you find you still use other languages here when you're, when you're kind of in the UK much? Um... Yes, I'd definitely say so. I, I'm at Durham University right now and I study history, so nothing to do with languages, really. But <clears throat> even within our course, you know, medieval history at some point, you know, we're talking about French monasteries, you know, French comes up. I understand what it says on the screen, you know. It, and people ask me, you know, oh, can you please translate me this for me? And, you know, next year I'm picking up a Spanish module just because I can and because I know it's quite similar to the French grammar, which I know you know, I've known it since I was eight. Um, and so I know that I can just build on that. And, you know, even being in the UK, you know, you always meet people who are European and it's that instant connecting factor, you know. Um, and also just to follow on from what Daphne said before and what the comments said, why wouldn't you want to learn a different language? I don't understand why you wouldn't want to. You know, people could say, oh, English is the most widespread language that's good for me, that's enough, but why wouldn't you want to broaden your horizons? Why wouldn't you want to learn about a new culture, a new language? And perhaps learning about that could bring in a new perspective of your own culture. You know, it's I honestly don't see any negatives surrounding it at all. Yeah, it's a bit like saying, why wouldn't you want to do a crossword or, I don't know, do a Sudoku or, or yeah. do an evening class? Yeah, it, why, why not? There's, yeah, why yeah. not? And also, um, what you said about um, picking up a, another language on top of the languages you've al already got, I think that's an interesting point because um, 
when you have learned a second language, then it's so much easier to learn any other language. And that actually includes computer coding languages as well. Mm. So um, a little bit of interaction with French up to GCSE level, say, then um, if at, at any point or at the same time you want to do computer coding, um, because your brain is used to picking up patterns and solving problems, mm. um, so even a, a computer language is so much easier. Yeah, and I, because of the languages I have, I can vaguely understand Dutch, I can vaguely understand Spanish, mm. Portuguese, you know, I have these <clears throat> basic kind of, you know, words never differ that much and grammar never differs that much within European languages. And, you know, I can, I feel confident. I've never felt, um, you know, going on holiday or whatever that I've been isolated. I've not been able to understand anything because you can always pick up some things. And I was in Italy last summer, don't speak Italian, but I was able to communicate just through kind of, you know, using the knowledge I have. And then I picked it up by the end of a week, I was, you know, having little conversations. It's just... It certainly makes holidays more fun, doesn't yeah. it? Because if you go to a tourist information place anywhere um, in France, say, and you speak enough French to be able to understand a poster that's not translated into English, you go to that event, um, you're with the locals, you're having conversations, meeting people, having proper French authentic experiences in a way that a tourist who doesn't have the language wouldn't be able to. I just, I just can't imagine it really just only being able to speak one language and I know for some people that you know is a choice and maybe they only want to speak one language but I honestly can't imagine it I really don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't have the languages that I do and then and the skills that I've gained from that. Is it harder then to learn languages maybe on the island or in the UK because we don't have that immersion or it's harder to find that immersion maybe that that we would do if we were living elsewhere perhaps? I think that's the great thing about Manx um, is that you can you can learn Manx on the Isle of Man and go and hang out with other Manx speakers um, in in the pub or uh, on the beach in a way that it's harder to hang out with other French speakers. And there's also that connection between Gaelic with the Gaelic nations yeah. around from Cornwall to Scotland and Ireland. Yeah. That there's a, there's a really good network um, and possibilities for cultural exchanges and tourism. But mm-hmm. there are there are more emotions. I mean, Ramsey Grammar School just recently had Spanish student exchange, mm-hmm. um, and I I, th- I feel privileged that I started French at eight, age eight, and that was standard across state schools in Sheffield, and then started a, a second language at secondary. But I th- I feel that that was a very privileged time, and I think you know what I what I really want to. See is I think the Isle of Man could get back to that, including all the additional enhancements of private tutor and private tuition. But I don't feel that the department is even keen about embracing the private sector to fill in the gap where it isn't prepared to go or doesn't have the budget to um, offer at the minute the, the language from key stage two. And I, I find that incredibly disappointing, let alone not setting a target of in the future we wanted to roll or we might think we would want to roll out um, foreign language, French or Spanish, at Key Stage 2. Why wouldn't we want to get back to that? Well, we, we have obviously some <laughs> private tutors with us. What's the kind of arrangement with um, Department of Education as things stand um, in, in both instances? Um, I conduct my lessons in schools, and so I have to pay the Department of Education to rent the space in the school. Um, my lessons take place at lunchtime, <clears throat> so I don't need a caretaker to let me in. Um, and... <clears throat> excuse me um the 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 lighting in the room um is already on the room's already heated i'm i'm i don't cost anything when i go into the school um i use my own equipment um uh and yet i have to pay the department of education for that and then and then the parents pay me and i pay my tutors 
probably a slightly different question, yeah, obviously, with you being no so so new. But um, is that is that maybe something possibly for the future? I don't know. I don't want to possibly. I think anything. I'd like to take away from the school aspect of it because. I think there's also a stigma there. Well, if I didn't learn it at school, it's a bit too late to do it now, and it's definitely never too late. Mm. And it's you don't have to go in and learn it rigidly. I've started this. There's a bit of a project that I've got going on at the moment in terms of trying to put things out there that people can go and immerse themselves in. So I've got a film screening of Pan's Labyrinth coming up, which is in Spanish with English subtitles. You don't have to speak Spanish to go there, but you can go and immerse yourself in the culture. It's a, a cult film. And there's things like that that can be pushed. And there's a, a platform on Duolingo called Duolingo Events. And at the moment, there's none over here for um, uh, Spanish or French events or anything else like that. If you are at least conversational in the language, you can apply to be an ambassador with Duolingo. It's free. They'll just give you a bit of help with planning events and give you a bit of merchandise. And you can put events on. And I don't see why anyone has stopped from doing that. I think there's a, definitely a market for putting on more cultural events like that that maybe people don't have to go and fully learn a language, they don't have to learn all the grammar rules, but they can go and immerse themselves, they can understand a few more words, and when they go on holiday, they're mm. more familiar with it. So I think that sort of thing, there's a lot of call for that at the moment. William King joins me. We've had some uh, messages in. Will? Yes, thanks, Dolan. Um, Bonzo Slater has contacted us with his view on this topic. He says, on modern languages, there is something obviously very wrong with the Department of Education in this vital area. The forthcoming education bill must, in capitals, make modern language teaching provision compulsory in both primary and secondary schools. Um, I, I presume that our panel share that view. If anyone wants to it come in on that. It might put me out of a job, but generally speaking, <laughs> yeah, I, agree, I do agree that, yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting point because um, how far does the department maybe take responsibility for language learning and how much is it put... Uh, maybe in the hands of, of schools themselves or, or, or private firms. But I think it's wrong that they're saying primary schools have control over their own oh. curriculum. It's up to them when previously it was centrally funded. And as Manx is offered to all, so should French or Spanish. And I can't see that that wouldn't be an ambition to give children from the age of eight, as I think I had and certainly others have, we know the benefits of learning a language earlier. We know how much easier it would be then to go on to Mandarin or other languages. My other concern is, while it's all very laudable to say a teacher may be funded from the Confucius Institute in Mandarin for to be rolled out to schools, just the tradition of language speaking and teaching on the island, it's not going to be easy to find the necessary number of Mandarin teachers or let alone speakers um, on the island. So there are more, there's more availability of French, Spanish, German and the more traditional European languages that have been taught here. That move that came in 2012, um, which we keep referencing, it was that was that a cost-cutting exercise? But that's I, what I he said, it was budget <clears throat> restraint, constraints. And it's it's a big shame. We we can all appreciate the reasons. I think there was a lot of heartache both in the department, around the schools, but an acknowledgement, you know, that was the situation we were in. The thing I'm quite annoyed about is the lack of acceptance or vision from the department to say that that should be changed when we do have the funding and in terms of the vision for the future in the education bill, that we want to see that provision restored and widened up, opened up to all the children, certainly to give people a taste at a younger age so that they might find the benefit of that in later years in the school system. Yes, thank you. Um, it, David Watts has got in touch. He is um, a parent and he's um, shown quite an, a strong interest in education recently. Um, 
he sort of echoes something that Stephanie, I think, raised earlier about how foreign language teaching is compulsory in the state schools up until and including year nine. Mm. And then it becomes a GCSE <clears throat> option. Um, he says that the decision to remove modern foreign languages at primary was taken in 2012. Um, he says what's most worrying is the impact it has on secondary pupils who aspire to a place at a Russell Group institution mm. and sort of the corresponding um, relationship with modern foreign languages in the English baccalaureate, um, which people have to, uh, in some people in the UK will be doing. He says that his daughter is currently taking GCSE Spanish, but in Key Stage 3 only got one lesson per week of this subject, um, and he doesn't feel this was um, sufficient. Um, and he says he's they've seeked um, private tuition in this area, but obviously that's not an option for everyone. And to quote his final line, he says, this is just another example of the culture of low aspirations that exist within our education system. So that's uh, David Watt's view on the topic. Mm -hmm. And um, that's interesting, the comment that, <coughs> excuse me, I've set the frog in my throat, the, the comment that that listener makes about um, not everybody being able to afford private tuition. Um, I have also said to the department that I'd be interested in um, if they could subsidise um, in the same way that they do for music lessons, that the government subsidises children who are on preschool meals so that they can have music lessons. And so I've said to the department a few times, is there any way that we can do that to make my lessons more inclusive? Um, and they're not interested in that either. Does, does that mean that language learning is in danger of mm. becoming like an elitist thing almost? Yes, mm -hmm. I yeah. think it is. It is, it is because now. If it's only private Jewish tutors who are providing it at, at primary school level, certainly. Um, and um, I think it's important to say that the teachers that we have got currently in the, in the secondary schools well, from my experience, I'm, I'm a mum, um, are fantastic, the language teachers. Um, and also, um, I know, Emma, you said some people have, have had issues in the past with their language teachers, but I had great language teachers when I was at school. Dillis Watson, Annette Baker was my German teacher, and uh, her husband was my French teacher, and um, Julia Duffy. I had, I had fantastic language teachers. So... Um, how dispiriting it must be for them when their subjects aren't taken seriously enough to be made a, a compulsory option at GCSE. Yeah. It just devalues the subjects completely. And we'll hear from Annette Baker later on in this programme. Um, Susie Holland has got in touch on Twitter, hashtag MRPerspective, uh, get in touch. She's um, supporting you, Stephanie, saying that the department should be paying you to go into schools rather than yeah. you paying <laughs> you. them. So that's uh, Susie's view on that. Um, I suppose it, it comes back to the theme of whose responsibility it is, really, to... Well, it's a policy decision. So the policy decision of the department, well-supported publicly, is for Manx Gaelic to be rolled out across primary school level and be there as an option for later years. Why isn't modern foreign languages? And I don't think one Mandarin speaker from the Confucius Institute mm. is going to cut it across the island. And I don't think necessarily as a policy vision for the island and in how best to support younger children learning a language and getting to, to have fun exploring the language mm. and using the language on holidays and things like that. I just don't see the vision from the department to, to set the bar and then ensure that we all work up to it in the future. It's it's understood that in 2012 the, the peripatetic foreign language teaching was disbanded for budgetary reasons but what is the reason now for not reintroducing that? Could I just add to the comment that we got before about Russell Group Universities and GCSEs? Yeah definitely. As someone who is at a Russell Group University you know when choosing 
GCSEs, you want to choose the ones, you know, that will get you the best grades, you know, the most competitive grades. Why would you choose a language for your GCSEs if you haven't done it sufficiently enough, if you haven't been exposed mm-hmm. to it early enough? You know, I think that's definitely a factor that would turn people away from doing languages mm-hmm. at GCSEs, even if it is offered to them at the beginning of secondary school. I think it needs to be offered to them, you know, prior to that, so that they actually have a chance to be able to make this decision. You know, they they would be advised by their teachers to choose, you know, subjects they're interested in, subjects they want to do at A-level, but also subjects they know they can do well in. If they haven't received the proper education to be able to do well in these languages, then why would they choose them? I think that's one of the reasons why the numbers are so low for people doing language at GCSE and then at A-level. It's it's probably an opportune moment for me to declare a bit of a personal interest. I, I did French and German at GCSE. I did French at A-level and French at a Russell Group University. So that kind of describes my timeline a bit, actually, weirdly. But um, I think I was only one of two people in my cohort to do two languages at GCSE. And lots of my peers, um, I remember at the time, not that it was that long ago, saying um, they were just too difficult to do and, and time-consuming to, to, to learn. Do you feel that's got any validity, maybe? I mean, I'm... I'm sure it does because, you know, languages are difficult. But I think if you receive the proper, you know, teaching, and I'm like Daphne mentioned before and like a few other people mentioned before, you know, when you think to the classic kind of language teaching from, you know, maybe a decade ago, more than a decade ago, you, you know, it, it, things have advanced. It's different now, the way you learn languages. And you have all these online resources and, you know, teachers are taking this much more, at least for me, teachers are taking a very kind of hands-on approach and you learn it in a different way than just kind of opening a textbook and reciting verbs. You know, it's about the culture, it's about the language, it's about much more than just grammar, as a lot of people, I think, would think. Um, and yes, it is difficult, but so are a lot of other things. Yeah, you know? science. Uh, yes. I would say physics, chemistry and biology are difficult, but nobody would suggest that we shouldn't learn them. Exactly. So it's about the value that these subjects are given. Um, I think as the only person here actually um, currently in the Department of Education, um, I go to Castle Russian and I did have to pick my A-levels earlier this year. Um, uh, I, I feel slightly awkward because I didn't pick a language, but it, it was on the cards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump in because I, I thought about mentioning this. You, you had quite a, a fine choice, didn't you? And I did, yeah. My, my option blocks just didn't work out for me. Um, I wanted to do music and that clashed with French um, because they were both going to be offered in collaboration with QE2. Um, jointly as a collaboration subject um so i i ended up picking music above french i'm sorry everybody in here um but i think we and a point that was made to me which was echoed there by one of the french teachers at our school was yeah okay it's a a a hard a level but all a levels are hard yeah and that's one of the points of doing an a level um it's not meant to be easy they're A-levels for a reason, you mm-hmm. know? But there, there is a perception, I think, or there's certainly, I was trying to think again, amongst my friends when I was at, at, at your age, Will, really, that, mm-hmm. that that studying a language is that much more time and labour intensive. You, do you feel that's 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 I, true? I don't know. I don't find it is. Mm. I mean, possibly because I can still remember the classes and the clock faces when we were learning time and how to tell mm. the time in French in a mobile classroom when mm. I was eight. And that stayed with me. And I think that you build up your confidence. Mm. But I, I was also very fortunate that I had amazing teachers. And I don't recognise, I mean, I was learning in the 80s and I don't recognise this textbook and old-fashioned way mm. of learning. I mean, the only old-fashioned teacher we had actually did history, which completely turned me off history. Mm. Yeah. But, but in terms of the language, 
language. It was it was just a way to explore language, reading books. And I mean, at the time, I had the confidence to read a novel in French. So I, I think that that stays with you and it, you can take it. And I don't think it, you should have to have the choice between music and French. Particularly those subjects, because people who are good at music are usually good at languages. Is that, a, is that a, a sort of a recognised <laughs> trend? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're good at listening and you're good at oh, okay. the, um, it's that kind of skill analysis. Um, I think whilst we look at how the central uh, aspect of the Department of Education is doing its languages, I think... As someone who last year did well at GCSE French, I do think it's important to say that the actual teachers in the schools yeah. who are teaching French at secondary are doing a great job. Yes. Um, and I think it's just important that we sort of pay testament to that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Here, here. Right now, um, time to hear from uh, some students, I suppose. Uh, Rianne Evans went along to one school to find out what some at the heart of this topic think. Um, coming up next, Kimberly Jackman, Charlotte White... And Vala Papala, apologies for the pronunciation there, three of the nine A-level Spanish students at St Ninian's High School. Bueno, no me llamo Vala, si yo estudié español en la St Ninian's High School. I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on subjects such as sciences and maths, and in comparison to like subjects like languages or art, um, they seem more important, so languages might just be in decline because of that. The UK did a study about the drop in England and their main reason was that it's just a difficult topic. Do you think as students there could be easier ways to teach language and if so what are your what are your thoughts? At at A level at least we get taught a lot about it, a lot about Spain, a lot about South America, a lot about the language so I think um, I think we do get taught in quite a lot of depth, but maybe at GCSE they could kind of get taught a bit more and maybe they would feel a bit more confident. So there's less of a jump. Yeah. I think as well that makes it easier by learning about the languages. Yeah. Um, because we learn about the politics, all about like the different independencies that are going on in Spain and just kind of like the political situations of Spain as well, which educate us even further. I agree with both of them that I think... Um, you should start learning language. It might be easier if you start from a younger age because it's easier once you go into exams and just comes more naturally. There's quite an attitude of, well, everywhere, everyone speaks English. Everywhere has English speakers. Do you feel like that attitude has has something to do with the, the decline? A hundred percent. I think because people think, oh, everyone's just going to speak English, that they shouldn't feel they need to learn anything else because English is like the worldwide language. But it's so good to learn a different language that I, that they shouldn't be thinking that way. That's kind of the wrong mindset to go about it. And also as well, Spanish, we can't forget, is one of the most widely spoken languages in the world, as well as English. And I think some people forget about that sometimes as well. There's been a big, a big drop in French and German, which, ha- which have been the two sort of staple languages for a very long time. And there has been a slight increase in Spanish and Mandarin. Um, do you think that is because students are more aware that those languages are more dominant around the world? I think, especially in business, Spanish and Chinese or Mandarin, um, they're really up there and they're spoken really widely in comparison to Spanish, although it's like a really well-spoken language. Brexit is being talked about a lot of time and that makes it quite an inward-looking issue. Everyone's just focusing on the UK and on 
you know, Britain and being English, do you feel like that might have a knock-on effect on students wanting to learn languages because you're, we're not focused on other cultures, we're so focused on the UK at the moment? Well, I think um, Spanish can be, well, I think it's more included anyway. When we go to unis, I think we can think about that as well because you can study different degrees with a language and with Spanish, which I think makes you more unique with learning it with a language as well, which makes you more um, employable. How important do you think the learning about just social aspects, as you were saying, you were learning about uh, Spanish politics and just different cultures and and that aspect of learning a language? I think learning about like the political, the social, um, geographical aspects of a language is really important because it helps you understand how a language works and the customs and norms. But I think there needs to be a lot more emphasis on learning the language especially because a lot of courses rely heavily on these like political, political aspects or topics in the book, but that there should be focus on the language. A big thank you to Rianne Evans there making her perspective debut. Thank you to Aaron Ibnez as well for the production. Um, we had an email in as well, Will, from a guest who unfortunately couldn't be with us today. Uh, over to you. Yes, uh, Anne McCusker is a, a Spanish teacher at St Ninian's, but she unfortunately wasn't able to join us. She was going to be here. Um, but she sent through an email um, and it, it goes as follows. Hi, um, apologies for not being able to get into the studio today. Um this unfor- unfortunately, this trend is UK-wide rather than just Ireland-wide. There are a lot of factors which need to be considered as to why this is happening. Unfortunately, the digital world we live in does not help our cause. I have had younger students say, Miss, can we just use Google Translate? We don't need books. And in their minds, Google has the answer to everything. Um, what, what, what do you guys think of that? Don't trust Google Translate. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I certainly remember um, I of course never did this uh, other, people in, <laughs> other people in my class handed in essays which were Google Was Google Translate, Translate around back then Donna? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable um, but you could you could inst- instantly tell because the translations yeah, the translation aren't, aren't, aren't very good are they? It doesn't have grammatical rules or anything like that it just gives you word for word so um, that's the thing and there's also now on Google Translate there's a camera part of it and you can hover over some text and it gives you all the words individually, but you'll never Doesn't be able to replace sense. language learning mm-hmm. because you can't you can't reorder it to make it sound more natural because it's a machine. It's not going to be yeah. you know human translation. But I suppose the the digital revolution, maybe Stephanie, one for you, um, does provide people the opportunity to communicate in different ways, which perhaps foregoes some of the need for other languages. I did see an incredible app advertised where somebody was speaking into their phone and it was being translated into another language and then the person was replying in their own language and that was being translated. So, so Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah, technology, I think that is, isn't it? Yeah. That, and that is amazing. Um, and, yeah, obviously that's going to be really useful for people. Um, but there are so many reasons for learning a language. It's It sounds crazy, but it's not just about communicating with somebody and being able to ask for directions to the town hall. Um, it's about empathy, being able to have... Um, 
being able to to read a book in a foreign language, all the stuff I mentioned before about improving your cognitive skills, um, preventing dementia. Apparently, um, there was a study conducted um, with people um, who spoke foreign language and um, they compared them to people who didn't. And the average age at which um, bilingual or multilingual people developed signs of dementia was um, 70, 71. Um, whereas, uh, no, sorry, so people who, which way around was it? Yeah, so people who didn't speak a language um, developed signs of dementia at 71, and people who did speak a language didn't develop signs until 76. So that's quite a big difference. Um, yeah, so there are so many. So I think that, yeah, technology has, um, does play a great part, but also te technology um, makes learning a language so much easier. I mean, um, just something simple like uh, getting your children to watch cartoons Peppa Pig in French or in German or in a different language rather than in English gives the child a real motivation for sitting and listening and being immersed in a language. Things like that were never around in, in my day. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the main things that they would always tell us to do. You know, because you're learning so many languages at such a young age, you know, one of the really easy ways to kind of keep up with it when you're at home is to, you know, watch telly or read yeah. books or whatever. So we did have the local TV channels and I would watch, you know, Disney Channel in German, Disney Channel, Disney Channel in French. You know, it's just another form of entertainment, just in a different language, really. The Nation Station, you're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. We're talking about the study of modern foreign languages on the Isle of Man, or rather maybe the lack of. It's at an all-time low, as revealed in a Freedom of Information request recently. We've got another guest joining us for this half of the programme, Annie Kizik. Uh, fast am I, Annie. Fast am I. Um, and now your view on language learning is maybe quite a different one to everything we've heard in the in the first hour. Um, you teach at the, at the Bun Scholar. Tell us a bit about um, what that is entails. Yes that's right um, I've been teaching at the Bunscoth quite a few years now and I have I teach the, the older children you know, the year five and six so it's um, quite interesting seeing how the children progress through the school um, till they reach 10 and 11 and, and, and see the pattern of, of language. Um, one of the things I think is most important for, for being successful in this is actually having a feeling of confidence and not being afraid to make mistakes and that really I think that's the advantage of the sort of immersion education we have at the Bun School. Uh, children start speaking Manx or being taught talk to in Manx through Manx from four and there's not really any concession to explaining this in English again and very very quickly they, they do adjust to this and you know if, if they don't quite understand anything well they'll they'll take other cues and um, there's a culture of perhaps not being afraid of making a mistake and I think that gives that real sort of layer of confidence that, that everybody needs in order to launch off into into an unfamiliar language it gives me confidence too mm -hmm. I'm not a natural linguist in any way or one of these people who would have you know picked up three A levels in in, in language at, at um, high school at all um, but I think because we're in an, in an environment where everybody's sort of in the same boat we're all we're all sort of learners even the teachers um it gives you that more confidence to go a bit further and, and I, th I think um i think it's a good a sound start really to, for, for perhaps continuing with languages uh, in later later years at secondary school 
ironically the word for teacher and learner in manx is is the same is it not but um yes. just to, to talk a bit about um immersion schooling then for people who don't know everything is done in manx really at the bus yes. school isn't it yes that's right um certainly all through uh, the infant years if you like using the old jargon key stage one uh, most of key stage two we actually so maths um, science that's a challenge but we're getting there. <laughs> um, history anything that you would learn in any uh, normal if you like primary school we, we do through Manx except for we do start teaching English um, in the key stage two and that's say a morning a week and we do in English all sorts of things which you couldn't really do in Manx the, the, the novels and the longer poetry and this sort of thing um, so it's a different proportion of things but a vast majority of uh, everything goes through through Manx, yes. Something which was spoken about at the Ned Madrill lecture at the back end of last year, and um, we had Tygo Callig over, who's a kind of a specialist in immersion in Irish yes. Gaelic, and he spoke a bit about the different patterns and paces of learning when you're learning in an immersion school. Um, is that well? Tell us a bit about that, I suppose. I mean, um, kids obviously, I would imagine, take a couple of years to get up to grips with their their Manx first, maybe before before learning more. It's interesting. I mean, it, I, I'm quite surprised at the pace at which some children, but not all children, will will pick up um, sort of receptive language and understand basically most of what you're you're saying and, and doing within a term or two. Um, and other children will take longer to start using it themselves, and that that reflects all sorts of things: the the personality, the background, whether they've got any support from home. If they're a more confident child, there's lots of variety within that. But um, certainly in terms of, of dealing with the day-to-day demands of being in a school, it, it doesn't seem to present problems for, for children at all. And it's certainly in reception year, um, by the end of the reception, you have children who are quite happily uh, learning through the language, even if they are expressing themselves a sort of half and half, or perhaps mainly in English at that point, some do actually sort of internalise <laughs> what's going on and start launching off into uh, more Manx than, than others. Um, and that increases as you go through the school. But it, it, it does vary from child to child, undoubtedly. I'm curious to know what happens about, about playtime. Do children keep up with the Manx or is there, is there more kind of English comes in maybe maybe there? More English, of course. And I suppose it is an effort uh, using Manx all the time when un, until this becomes very familiar so in a way it's a bit of downtime but we're doing certain children um, will use a little more Manx than than others and there are things you can do like if, if you're trying to introduce various playground games and this sort of thing and some of them will carry on using them um, some of the older children I suppose almost take on a role of, of being teacher outside to the younger ones and will carry on <laughs> those ones who are concerned about these things but it is true that and I think this is true in all Gaelic and, and, and other um, immersion settings that generally that it's it is quite difficult uh, when English is is the dominant language there to sort of totally override it and um, really there's quite a challenge to how, how you can keep uh, Manx or Gaelic um, going outside of the the taught school language and I know that's that's a wide problem with 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 all languages and we still haven't really got the the answer to that yet but we're always trying to think of things and uh, keep going. And in terms of when children leave your class then and move to secondary school is as things stand obviously as 
disclaimer, there's no kind of immersion schooling at secondary level. Do you find maybe children keep their, their Manx as, as they get older? It's very varied. I think generally when the, if, if the, well, our children go to a variety of secondary schools, so they don't all go to a school where there will necessarily be provision for, for, for Manx. Um, some do, and some do continue learning a couple of lessons through Manx for the first few years. Um, others don't or may just meet up occasionally with other um, children of parents arrange it. In terms of whether they want to and if they continue using the language, I think around about 12, 13, um, it's fairly common they get very embarrassed by it <laughs> and want to, that sort of wanting to fit in and be like everybody else. And then we often find that children perhaps at A level will pop out of the woodwork and suddenly profess a great interest and very quickly sort of retrace their steps and we find that what they had learned um, initially had stayed there they might have thought it had gone and will come out later or even even later you know early 20s and so um so interesting pattern not everybody's the same but there's certainly a reasonable number of people who do return to the language in some form or other in later life i was i think just a bit too old to to go to the bunskull may well have done had it been had it been there then but it's been around long enough now i suppose that you can begin to plot what happens to people uh post study there yes we we need to do that in a more systematic way I and mean, we have lots of sort of anecdotal um stories and we do sometimes have parents or ex-pupils themselves who will say this is what we're doing now and we certainly do have um people who are still using manx uh, others have gone on to um take degrees in other languages for example french certainly um some people have well at least a couple of people I know who, who, who've got into or certainly been uh, applied to the likes of Oxford or Cambridge and actually having that sort of Manx dimension has made them stand out and give them a sort of advantage, even if they weren't particularly studying Celtic studies as such. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting. But we do need to perhaps start gathering that information more systematically now, we're, now we've got greater numbers going through. Thank you very much indeed, Gurumaya. Okay, some, some, some interesting points. Um a point that was made again in the in the first half of the program about learning one language being um, a, br- a bridge, perhaps to to more Stephanie, mm. and that's that's something which definitely applies to the Bunskol. You'd have thought it's it's not just about Manx, is it? It's the ability to to learn. Yeah, that. absolutely. And um, uh, it would be interesting to hear to to find out about the Bunskol specifically. But I know that um, there has been lots of research done into children um, in other settings who have a second language. Um, and um, they do generally do better academically across the board in all subjects. If I could come to you, Eleanor, if you've got a microphone around. You said you studied history, which is interesting because as somebody who um, had a lot of language from a very young age, was there a temptation maybe to do that at a further level? Um, Well, for me, to be completely honest, there never was a temptation just because I felt like, you know, having learned three extra languages before the time I was eight you know I never felt like I needed to really go that step further especially because I did all my school all my schooling in the Luxembourg state school system until I was 16 and then at that then I realized I wanted to go study in England so I changed to a private school a-level system and you know I that, I then did that in English that was the first time I'd ever done schooling in English um, and before that I've been doing it all in French which is my fourth language I did find I did find quite difficult um but no I never you know my interest for languages is something 
for me personally, which is, you know, independent from my studies now. Um, like I said, I'm looking to do a Spanish module next year to kind of build on the languages I already have and expand that further. Um, and history, you know, at the end of the day, history can incorporate languages. You know, it's definitely something that I've been using my skills within, you know. But no, I never wanted to do languages at university. I'm thinking you, you hear a lot of people on um, maybe on social media say, well, why did we learn about algebra at school? Because we can't use that in our or apply that to our modern lives. That definitely isn't the case with, with languages, Definitely, It's always going to... Well, I'd say that algebra you do apply every day in problem no, solving well, maybe, and maybe. languages <clears throat> languages in terms of the use. I mean, I found it, um, as has been said before, it, it's a much more empathy when you're talking to somebody or you find that somebody may not have very good English and suddenly your, your French is on a par with their English and you have a, a much more sort of empathetic conversation and make a bond or a connection that isn't possible when you don't make an effort. And I find certainly when I have been in France um, working, representing the Department of Tourism in France, there was such a huge support and acceptance with my very rusty A-level French that I was trying to explain the Alaman as a tourist destination. Um, and I, I just think that it's you're much more successful at any level, whether that's mm. social communication, going out and finding, as you said, the the local events that you can mingle with people. Just a tiny amount of language can take you so far that, let alone the benefits it brings in terms of your your mind and gearing up better students in all other subjects. We've had an interesting email in. Um from Pam. William, if I could hand over to you. Yeah, thanks, Dolan. Um, Pam has said to us that she never learned a language at school back in the 50s, um, but looking back, she thinks this was awful and a big regret. Um, she would have loved to have been able to speak another language. However, she's found that after years of holidaying in Europe and elsewhere, particularly Germany, she's been able to pick up enough language to ask for things in shops, cafes, etc., um, understanding signs and posters and finding her way about. Um, the grammar, of course, I do not understand, it says. Um, but um, I have been able to feel at ease in a foreign country. Um, and she can't help wonder how much better it would be to be able to understand. And if she'd had the chance, she would have she would have liked to do it. So an interesting view there. Um, also, um, Roger Tomlinson, um, a frequent text her into the show um he has told us that uh, he's appalled that no one from the department of education has been prepared to participate live in this program um and uh, in addition to minister Crudine, there are three other departmental members um he's pleased to hear that we've used the freedom of information act to expose this shortfall in education and he is appropriately listening in france so um <laughs> yes thank you very much <laughs> Just to, to build on something Pam said there, maybe, um, languages, I know we've kind of said this already, maybe get harder to learn as you as you get older. Is there, is there some truth in that? Um, I think it's definitely beneficial to the, the earlier you start, the better. Um, apart from anything else, um, you're so much less self-conscious when you're little. When you think about children now who start who have to start learning a foreign language when they're 11 or 12, which is just when you start to feel self-conscious and a bit embarrassed, and there you are making new sounds, whereas the, the earlier you start that, you're still remembering how to... that, that you've only just started learning your, your first language, so the sooner you do it, the better. Um, but I would say that it's never too late. I don't know if it gets 
if it's I don't, I don't think it's ever too late um i've got a good friend who um who learned manx and she um she said that she wasn't a language learner at school she never thought she was going to be any good at languages um but it's a lot about motivation if you're motivated enough then you can learn a language no matter what no matter what age just coming to you annie if i may you spoke a bit about the sort of fearlessness of of kids to yes. you know and, the, and that that model of encouraging uh, the making of mistakes as as being a, a a route to learning as well absolutely and it's very hard when you're an adult to sort of put yourself into that environment mm. and you know get get through that you expect as an adult as an older person that uh, you should get things right first mm. time and it's such you know it, it's it's a sort of quite a poisonous attitude really but it it, it um yes it it, it does inhibit a lot of learning i think uh, so obviously you know the earlier the earlier mm. the better uh, the children mm. don't have the hang-ups after all they've, they've not long been speaking mm. english have they yeah. so that's a pretty amazing thing they've just done why not cash if I, in if i could ask emma maybe um what sort of demographic do you do you teach at present well the youngest i've got is five and the oldest i've got is 58 so i really don't think <laughs> that you know I think there is an idea that you can't pick things up as quickly, but it's, it's how you learn. If you find the best way to learn, you can do that with any skill. Mm. And I think also making mistakes is part of the fun of learning a language. The It's it's just this funny stories you have to tell. Like the guy that I shared a flat with in Spain told the lady that we lived with that he was pregnant instead of embarrassed. Mm. <laughs> things like that, but, you know. Sound, sounds a good, I, good icebreaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Nation Station. Radio. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Earlier in the programme, we said we would hear a bit from somebody at King Williams College. Now, the situation there is slightly different to at state schools. Um, virtually everyone at KWC will do a language at GCSE level, uh, be it classical or modern. And at the top of the school is the IB, or the International Baccalaureate, which also requires students to take a foreign language. So is compulsory, or going compulsory, the answer? Well, here's the principal, Joss Buchanan, speaking to our reporter, Aaron Ibanez. I always remember from my own experience, but I spent my entire entire school days trying desperately to give up French. And uh, I kept saying to uh, my parents that I wanted to drop it. And they, they insisted, and I ended up with an O-level, and then at that point, with, with alacrity, with speed, I gave it up and never did languages thereafter. And I've always thought, looking back, that's one thing I really regret. And language learning didn't come, come easily to me. Uh, I didn't especially enjoy it. But I think as you uh, get older and as you go off to university, as you get into the world of employment, you see the advantages of it and you see how important it is. And I do think if someone had actually forced me to, to keep the language going... And if I'd taken it into the sick form, that would have been so valuable later on in life. And I, I do regret that. And I'm very pleased, therefore, that at the college, actually, we, we do insist on that language in the sick form. And we do say that for everybody, there are different levels. It, it depends on your aptitude. But for everybody, they ought to be doing a language uh, be, before they go on to further study. I suppose there is that fine line of making something compulsory as you alluded to before as well, is that language learning should be fun, but sometimes making it compulsory could take the fun out of it. Is that, is that fair? I think, again, it comes back to the idea of breadth in education. And uh, with the IB, the IB we've got operating in the sixth form, we're actually running six subjects, not three subjects. So we're saying, yep, a language is compulsory. Maths is compulsory. A science is compulsory. 
And again, uh, few people are going to enjoy every single one of those subjects, but we're saying what is the point of education? And that actually the skills you're learning with these different subjects, the knowledge you're acquiring, it's really important moving forward. And we shouldn't be specialising too early. And I think that, that has been the fault of the British education system for too long. And to be saying to, to students at the age of just 16 that, yeah, this is a moment where you can just focus down on three subjects, that I'd, I'd suggest is actually quite extreme. And certainly compared to any other European country, uh, we are specialising earlier than anyone else. On a state level then, why do you think there is this decline in language learning? What, what factors are at play here? I think the British have always been bad at language learning. Uh, they've, they've never uh, particularly prioritised it. Uh, they've always worked on the basis that they speak English, and so that's, that's the lingua franca of, 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 of our day, and so it's, it's easy to get by without, without learning a language. But I think at, at the moment, and yeah, it does get into Brexit, and it does get into all that's going on at the moment, uh, that sense that we ought, to be, we ought to be making an effort with the language, but we ought to be making an effort to, to actually uh, understand and to empathise with other cultures, that's fundamentally important in the modern world. And it, it's, it's, it's not right that uh, uh, the UK as a whole is, is turning its back on language learning and is, is, is closing down these avenues. That kind of attitude is, is embodied perhaps in arguably the, the biggest political negotiation of our time. And, and Theresa May's going to the EU and she's negotiating with the EU in English. Do you, do you agree with that, I suppose? It's quite telling. We, we have, at the college, we've got a number of international students. Uh, I spend a lot of my time with their parents, uh, talking with their parents, meeting with their parents, uh, communicating with their parents. Uh, by and large, all of them, wherever they come from, whatever country they come from, speak fluent English. And that does gently shame us. And that's uh, particularly if we're looking at some of our European parents, uh, Italians or Germans or Russians, they're totally fluent in English. And you can see what they gain from that. They can, they can access a different culture. Uh, they can, they can uh, communicate with so many more people uh, and, and understand uh, uh, different countries in the way that we just can't. And I think it's, it's a crying shame that we don't take languages more seriously and that we don't go down that route as well. I suppose you have sort of answered this uh, earlier on but you know if you were involved in the Department of Education on the Isle of Man would you make languages compulsory again? I think there's a strong case for making languages compulsory at GCSE level and uh, it, it's not for everybody but I think uh, most students can do a language at, at, at that level and that should be actively encouraged. I would love to do it at sixth form level as well but I know that that's that's a minority view and I think okay we do it at the college uh, but the, the, IB is, the IB is a different route to go down. I think what's important really is that the island has a choice and that uh, we at King Williams, I hope, by doing the IB, we provide a different curriculum and we provide a different qualification pathway so that if you do want to try something a bit broader, if you do want to include a maths, you want to include a science, if you want to include a language, you can do that. And I think it's right that actually we've got different pathways in the island. And if you want to specialise, you can go down the A-level route. But if you want that, that greater breadth and you want to include a language, you can go down the IB route, which, which is what we offer at the college. That was Josh Buchanan from King Williams College there speaking with Aaron Ibanez. I'm going to put that to the panel. Um, 
making languages compulsory, would that be an answer? Maybe Daphne, if I could ask you first. Um, well, I was very interested to hear his thoughts that, you know, we are citizens of the world and with Brexit and everything else, we want to be good world citizens of the future. Then having a language under our belt is a real positive in terms of going out into the world. Um, in terms of making it compulsory, I would probably agree that it, at GCSE level it should be a given, but in order to get there, it needs to be supported and funded at key stage two level you need to start at that age eight that's when the biggest impression that's when your your mind and the synapses are opening and the pathways mm -hmm. to make language learning easier fun um, a fun experience and also where you're not allowed not not embarrassed to make the mistakes and that that is how we build the blocks to get people to GCSE so that they're conf confident and competent in a language that can only benefit all of us for the future. I remember when I was of that age, I was told that the jump from GCSE to A-level was greater than from A-level to degree level. Yeah. However, mm. children have learnt, have learnt to mm. year nine, which isn't too far short of GCSE already. So mm. maybe that would be the, the first step. What do you think, Stephanie? I definitely think it should be compulsory at GCSE level because um, up to year nine, um, they've learnt um, directions and foods and how to say what what they what their school day is like um but not really enough to be able to have um a, a conversation a, an unplanned conversation whereas at the end of gcse um they would be they'd they'd have achieved a degree uh, not a degree they'd have achieved a level um of of language that would enable them to have a conversation um but yeah then it is a big gap a big jump up to a level after that well, as I alluded to at the top of the programme, figures released by the Department of Education have revealed the number of Manx students choosing to study a modern foreign language for GCSE and A-level is at a record low. Although the island's secondary schools have been hit by this downturn, uh, one of them is feeling it more than the rest. Of the 531 language learners back in 2011, it was Ramsey Grammar School which had the largest share of those students with 148 on its books. That was more than both Douglas schools and however in just under a decade they've gone from having nearly 30% of the island's language learners to now just 10% but their head teacher and linguist of 58 years Annette Baker says the school year for 2020 proves that Ramsey is emerging from this rut. Aaron Ibanez spoke to her along with the head of language department uh, Lorna Rousseau about how their school's ethos books the trend. Yes, there is a, a distinct difference in the figures between uh, 2011 and now. Languages used to be comp compulsory, so all students had to uh, choose a, a language option for their GCSEs. And that changed um, around about that time. It was already starting to change, in fact, then. Uh, and now, uh, sadly, we're at, we're at a stage where, um, as the national press in the UK reports, we're at an all-time low with uptake in modern foreign languages. Uh, and, um, you know, really we're at a point where, certainly here in, in Ramsey Grammar School and I know on the island, uh, we've decided to do something about it. Actually, we haven't just decided. We've always been doing something about it and trying to really um, solve this um, solve this problem of how do we encourage young people to choose to take what is perceptibly quite a difficult subject. They perceive it as difficult. Um, all subjects at GCSE are difficult, but I think there's an added probably barrier to um, um, to young people considering taking a language. Um, maybe the experience of their parents, maybe uh, their initial experiences of learning a language. Um, some of them get quite easily turned off it from the start. So the challenge for us is, is to how to excite them 
to take a language at GCSE and beyond. What, what's sort of the message from the school when it comes to language? Because, of course, for a lot of students, not always will be looking to go to sixth form or, or go to higher education. It's sort of employability, isn't it, for the island? So when you've got subjects like business studies and ICT, that's a real, a, a real appeal because that seemingly can be quite applicable locally. You, you're talking about making it more appealing and encouraging a, a bit of an uptake. What, what is in place? How does the school curb these, these figures and, and stop this decline? Well, community, global community, as well as local community, is part of our way of being. You see the posters on the wall there which, which capture what we uh, have decided to be our values in the school. Community is a massive part of that. And this school has a global perspective. I think it is absolutely vital, not just as a linguist, but as a head teacher, that students should look outwards. We live on a little island uh, which um, tends to be, could tend to be, if we don't provide these opportunities, quite myopic in its view. We've seen the awful things that are happening with this myopic introversion that's happening in the UK, in my, in my opinion, with regards to Brexit and the whole debate there about um, not belonging to Europe. It's important that we give young people a global perspective. So um, in this school, we give them the opportunities to learn foreign languages for GCSE, for A-level, and we also provide opportunities in our sixth form enrichment programme. I know that Lorna will be able to talk about the details of that in a moment. Yeah. Um, so we've got actual courses that we offer to everybody. We've also got a fantastic range of trips to the um, two foreign countries, um, which uh, physically enable students to experience life in different cultures and to try out the language skills that they learn with us. Just turn to you then, Lorna. Um, do you share that view, that, that sort of insular view that's sort of taking place culturally at the moment? A, a big, the big political elephant in the room, of course, is Brexit and everyone is looking quite inwardly. Do, do you share that view? Yeah, I mean, I'm really passionate about, you know, equipping our students for, as Annette says, like a global future, because as we do live on an island um, and I think the range of languages we offer here really, really can help to, uh, you know, enable our students to look outwardly, look globally. Um, for example, at GCSE, um, as Annette said, we can we do French and Spanish, um, the same at A level. And then this extra curriculum, extra um, push on global languages um, takes place within the in the enrichment program where we offer not only French and Spanish, but we offer Italian, German, Mandarin, Japanese and Manx as well. So that's... we offer all of those. And, and that's that's with the schools, you know, full support. You know, I'm I've got timetable lessons to help me to launch that and to to, you know, organize external agencies. You know, we've got the Comenius project coming in to do Mandarin. We've got um, Rob Tier coming in and does Japanese and Manx. So and the students can actually get a tangible qualification from this. It's with the Welsh board as well. They actually get a piece of paper certificate to say, look, I've got this qualification, qualification in German, for example. And at, in the enrichment, they learn practical things, practical skills. So it's not it's it's a change from GCSE. It's completely different to GCSE. It's more practical. So, you know, and as Annette touched on as well, those students who do German, for example, have got the opportunity to travel to Germany. Like I'm, I was just there last week um, taking part in work experience programs. So, you know, I think as a school, we've really committed ourselves to, you know, OK, we recognise languages are difficult. What are we doing about it? And that's that, the enrichment programme is one of the things that we're doing mm. about it. So in its traditional form, the, the teaching of, of a language, perhaps the, the perception, as we touched on before, it, it is a very it is a difficult subject, but mm. comes with this outward benefit mm. of, of of travel. And, and that, that, that shouldn't that really excite students? 
Well, it does. Yeah. And, and that, that's my job. I, I feel that's my job to, you know, showcase all the opportunities you can have when you have this language. It's, it's a life skill. You know, it's like um, being able to communicate it opens up a whole new world for them. Um, and I think the benefit of all these trips and, and all of this uh, thinking outside the box um, has helped with our numbers this year, which have, you know, the uptake has nearly doubled, you know, and with this new qualification we've introduced as mm -hmm. well, global business communication with French, that's going to enable us to um, help those students who really enjoy languages, but maybe would find a pure GCSE a bit difficult. So they want to, you know, look at more practical way of assessing a language a language GCSE equivalent qualification. Timely bell there at the end. Uh, head teacher Annette Baker and Lorna Rousseau, head of languages at Ramsey Grammar School there. Um, what at the current scenario is the kind of prerogative of the school in and you know it's it's kind of left to each school to choose what they offer is that is that right loosely speaking certainly at primary school it seems to be but the the difficulty with that is previously up to July 2012 the peripatetic language teaching was centrally funded and organized so how can they say it's up to the schools to do it themselves when they may not have the expertise or the necessary qualified teachers to teach in the various languages some that do brilliant for them and that's to be welcomed but when they don't provide it why do they also make it difficult for private providers to fill the void that they're not prepared to provide for in terms of languages so why should Stephanie's classes um, be made more difficult by being charged for the use of school premises which are already open and heated and you're actually I suppose supervising some children yeah. and obviously there is the demand yeah. there as, as both Emma and Stephanie have told us today because people presumably you've got more more in um interested then you can accommodate mm -hmm. so where there's people wanting their children to have that access to language why would the department charge and reduce the access that people can have that they're not provide to, they're not prepared to provide but then they're not encouraging private providers to fill that gap it doesn't make sense so what what's what's the answer i suppose um maybe that's one for for you eleanor what do you think with a fresh pair of eyes um what do you think well i think the main thing we've got from this discussion really is that you know it's great if languages are with are they compulsory at GCSE did we no no, no they're, they're not. not if if they were I think the step to take though before that is to make sure that they're accessible before GCSEs now we've talked that they are compulsory for the first three years of secondary yeah but why is that the only time they're compulsory for why isn't there a time in primary school that they should be introduced I, I which, which, which there used to be, of course. Yeah, so I don't understand. You know, when they in two thousand twelve, when they stopped this, it was uh, it was to do with um, budget, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that still the case? Is there still an issue with budget? Why hasn't it been reintroduced? You know, why hasn't it been amended rather than taken away completely? So, as someone who you know comes over to the island quite a bit, but has never actually lived here, seeing it from this perspective, I think there's definitely improvement that me needs to be made, and I I think a lot of the steps need, that need to be taken to kind of improve this aren't even that far-fetched you mm -hmm. know if they're ready to um employ someone from the confucian uh, association mm -hmm. uh, for for mandarin then why aren't they prepared to do the same well, you know mandarin you know we're so close to europe european languages are so accessible why 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 are they considered to be old-fashioned 
you know, what was the wording that the minister used? He said German... It said the French had been pushed when we were joining the EU, but and, and he sort of implied maybe it wasn't as important now. But from my perspective, it, it's, it's a more accessible language to teach mm. at a younger age. And mm. we also have the benefit that there is more experience in German, French and Spanish mm. within the island as well as closer. So mm. however welcome it is that there's um, a Mandarin speaker, it's never going to be the answer to everything. I think yeah. to get children in the mindset set to learn languages we do need that um, ability and central funding to provide language learning from key stage two upwards see i think you know when they proposed the whole mandarin thing you know that's that's great you know sure mandarin should be introduced but has it it might be from September was the answer. We're waiting to hear on that one. And it is available in some of the high schools. Okay. Um, but I think, um, I don't know whether the Minister for Education speaks any foreign languages himself. I wonder whether he's um, speaking from a position of ignorance about how difficult Mandarin is to learn. Um, there was a, a, a study done in America by the American government. It was back in... 2014 um, that looked at how many hours it takes to get proficient in a language obviously the factors like motivation and and what sort of um, um, resources are available it come into uh, have to be taken into account but broadly speaking they worked out that it takes um, uh, 2,000 um, hours to become proficient in Chinese compared to only 600 hours to become proficient in a modern European language um, obviously, if you learn Chinese, then uh, you've got to memorise over a thousand, I think, unique characters. And also, obviously, it's tonal, which means that the, the, the meaning of the words changes um, based on the tone in which they're said. So it's, it's a very, I'm not saying it's impossible and brilliant. Let's be ambitious for our children. But like Daphne says, we've got more expertise in the modern foreign languages and it's where most people go on holiday. How much easier to send your child for an experience to France or Germany than to send them across the other side of the world in China? Thank you very much indeed to all of my panel. We're quickly approaching the two o'clock news. Just finally, how do we say thank you for listening in Luxembourgish? Um, <laughs> just say um, merci, merci dos da... Um, Every day is a school day. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Take care. The Nation Station, Manx Radio.